Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and this is my cast. Hi everyone, my name is C, I use they them pronouns, and I play Oka Hien, Asamar blood hunter and monster hunting expert. I'm Erica, and I play V Noct Shurzo, your lovable elf sorcerer slash charlatan with draconic ancestry. My name is Lyra, and I use they she pronouns. I play Manaya Wairua, a half orc fighter with a sailing background. I'm Max, my pronouns are they them, and I play Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra artificer and researcher on the run from his former employers at the Ohanahi Research Laboratory. You can support Transplaner RPG by pledging to our Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res assets, and much, much more. You can also support us by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps immensely with getting new listeners to find us. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include flirting, romance, references to sexual entanglements, memory loss, and familial trauma. Arc 4, Episode 7, Ripe with Homicide and Darker Lust, from Brain Small by Mary Casimore. Warm, flickering torchlight illuminates the darkness hanging above the cobbled streets of Dokau. A drunken elf stumbles out of a bar, staggers against a vegetable stall, and keels over. And laughing, their friends hoist them up by their armpits, crooning an old war song all the way home. And so, evening deepens into night. A chill breeze rattles the bare branches of spindly trees. Lanterns swing from wooden posts with peeling red paint. Night owls hang out on the balconies of taverns, leaning against banisters and smoking hand-rolled cigarettes. All is well. BAM! The door to the drunken crane slams open as a tall, drow woman storms out, a cloak of feathers rippling into existence down her muscular back. Her mismatched eyes, one gold, one pure black, narrow, as she kicks a nearby stack of crates and the wood just explodes. Oka, you follow Rev out. I think this is perhaps the first and only time you've ever seen her so furious? Tendrils of shadow coil around her exposed arms, darkening the glimmer of her golden raven, excuse me, raven pattern tattoos. 
darkness strobes off her skin. You feel the weave tightening around her like a, a fist cocked back to punch. And her long, dark hair, shot through with streaks of white, begins rising at the ends as though she were floating in water. What do you want, Oka? Uh, come on, Rev, it can't be that bad. <laughs> Listen, they're probably... Did you hear what happened? It's a mess. They're probably just talking it out in there, all right? And Oka sweeps their arm open to gesture toward the tavern windows. <laughs> uh, where both of you see Lotus and V sharing an intimate kiss. It's not just like a sloppy drunken kiss that you might have with like a one night stand or a hookup. It's like a deep romantic kiss. Like Lotus's hand is cupped around V's jawline. And like right before they kiss, like Lotus is looking deeply into V's eyes and then leans in and V rises up to meet her. And like Lotus's dark, like dark hair sort of spills around V and both of you sort of see V soften into Lotus's grasp. And Rev and Oka, both of you like stare for a minute. And then when Rev whirls on you, Oka, I think that's when her name, Rev, short for Revenant, of course, truly hits you. Uh, I think for the first time since meeting her, you understand on an instinctual level how this woman in front of you could have come back from being dead, come back from the grave, animated through fury and vengeance alone. She is looking at you like you're not even a person, like you're a bag she's about to punch. Uh, <laughs> I, I said, uh, and okay, kind of steps their whole body in front of the window. Maybe we should take this to, let's, Let's, uh, let's, let's walk, Rev. Come on, let's, let's, let's take a walk. Get some air. Come on, let's, let's, come on. We're supposed to have a, supposed to be a fun fucking night. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's, let's go. Uh, and Oka tentatively touches her on the arm. Pat, pat. And tries to start dragging her away. Make a persuasion check. A 17? <laughs> you pat her on like one bulging bicep and she growls looking at you like one hand just like curling into a fist and then uncurling you see her knuckles whitening like around where she's gripping it into a fist and then we cut to an alleyway uh that you've dragged rev to and she's like pacing back and forth you know like in front of the mouth of the alleyway like the the blackened feathers you know just sort of like the cloak rippling off of her shoulders like the dark light still strobing off of her like how Vinash's red lightning sparks off of you when you get emotionally uncontrolled this seems to be the equivalent for rev it's just like almost like dark plasma is like strobing off her body as she paces <sighs> what am i supposed to do oka what Put yourself in my shoes for half a second. I know that might be difficult given how small you are, but just what am I supposed to do? First of all, fuck you. Second of all, I I, I don't know what it. Uh, and Oka's been like rolling a cigarette, watching her pace, you know, and they kind of slump back. I, I don't know, Rev. I mean, she's. It's not like she. You, it's not like she doesn't love you any less, right? She is obsessed with you. It's fine. She, she, she obviously, a lot is happening with this person, okay? It's not about you. Not about me. 
Not about me? Oka, that's... That's not what I have a problem with. V can kiss or fuck whoever she wants to kiss or fuck. That's not... That's not the obstacle here. It, and she sort of whirls on you and stops pacing. Did you see the way she looked at her? Did you... Are you... She loves her, Oka. V loves this random woman that neither of us knew even existed up until this point, and now these memories are flooding back into her brain. They have history. Clearly, they mean something to each other. I... I can't compete with that. Well, what, then? What? What is she supposed to do? L let that love go? Like she hasn't been waiting for it for so long? Of course you'd be on Lotus's side. You are the Lotus in your own life. What are you talking about? I'm not on Lotus's side, Rev. I'm just saying that if she's been waiting, she's obviously been holding on to something. What is she supposed to do? Just, just, just keep waiting? Just keep waiting? Or so... You're not the paragon of Vidash or Sen, Oka. You're the paragon of fucking projection. You're the goddamn lotus in your own life. Gone for seven years, and now this person you were engaged to, this person you loved, has found someone else, this Prince Moa, and now you're back, and what? What, you want to take her away from this engagement? They have a wedding planned, Oka. It's not going to work out. It's not a real... It was supposed to be my wedding, Rev. It was supposed to be my wedding, and I'm supposed to be just fine with that. Am I just supposed to be fine with that? Are you fine with this? You're obviously not, because Lotus and V love each other, so the fuck Stop what? saying that. Stop saying their names. What? V? Lotus? V? Lotus? What? Does that upset you, Rev? V? Lotus? Halo. V? Lo Prince Moa. Halo. Shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up. V? Lotus? V? Lotus? Uh, v? Rev Lotus? V? Rev Lotus? V? Lotus? Rev, Rev shoves you against the alley wall and she kisses you. Do you kiss back? No. I think they have been literally picked up off the ground and they get kissed and then they get dropped. Yep. And when Rev like drops you down, maybe your knees are a little jelly. She pulls back, looks down at you and says, your mouth feels weird. You have corpse breath. And <laughs> I think with that, like the argument simmers down a little. <sighs> As she like lets out this like deep, deep sigh as she like steps away from you and turns away, like looking at the other wall of the alley. It's not the fact that she likes Lotus that's the problem, Oka. It's not even really the fact that she loves her. It's, I just, I have to be the one she comes home to, the Raven Queen. And she, like, lifts a hand and puts it over her chest a little. Everyone walks through life on their own. We all have experiences. We go on adventures. We meet people. We fall in love. We fall out of love. We do things we regret. We experience such joy and pleasure and pain and just the richness of, of being alive, being here in the now. But at the end of the day, Oka... And Rev turns around and looks at you. Everyone comes home to the Raven Queen. Death takes us all. In death, we're all equals. And I feel the exact same way about V, Oka. If I'm not the one she comes home to at the end of the day, I... I don't know if it's gonna work out. 
Oka sighs, shifts back against the wall. <sighs> Do you know what it's like to wait for someone, Rev? More than I think you know. I mean, after my, after my fiance uh, was killed, I. I'm, I'm sorry, you're who? Uh, and I think <laughs> Rev just takes a few minutes to catch you all up. She tells you about Leaf, Dream Eye. She tells you about the Myriad. She tells you about why she agreed to help your party in the first place back in Arc 2, back in the court, was because the Myriad was hunting Dew and she was hunting the Myriad. And she tells you that she was, how she was resurrected into a revenant, animated by her vengeance, her desire to exact revenge against this dog-headed man that had killed her fiancé and killed her as well. Are you really sure you're not Vinash's paragon? I don't know how fate or destiny works, okay? When Halo was doing that river thing in the throne room, I... All I know is that in the end, we all die, okay? But it, it wasn't her time to die. It wasn't Leaf's. We, we still had time left together that we'll never have again. So let them have their time, Rat. Let them have their time. We will come home to you. Just talk to her about it. We can't all be so lucky to have what you two have, okay? There are people that I've left. All I do is leave. I want to go back one day. I want to go home, even now, that they can go back to what they had. Let them have it. It's what I fucking want. <laughs> so let them have it. She'll come home to you, I just... Even though you have corpse breath. Stop saying that I don't have corpse breath. V Your lips told are me. cold, it's weird. V likes it. What do you need? And don't say another kiss because I will... I'll, I will have to say no. No, I, that was a mistake. Obviously. Yeah, I did not enjoy that. I was just mad, and you were there, so... I don't know, Oka. This Lotus woman, she's got huge tits and this hair that flows like fucking Mahu's waves. I, How am I supposed to compete with that? She's even muscular. Like, what the fuck? Oka kind of, like, leans back for a second. You know, I've always thought that you look like you're swimming in your hair. What? Why is it so long? You never taken a pair of scissors to that thing? Rev sort of like touches her hair like she's noticing it for the first time, runs it through like the strands of black and white and like lets it dangle in the air before letting it go. Uh, it used to be shorter, I just, uh, I guess I let myself go after, you know, being revived as a fucking revenant hell bent on vengeance. Yeah, we've all been there, Rev, you're not special. <laughs> just kidding, kidding, sorry, trying to light the mood. <clears throat> what I mean is you wanna you wanna compete? You wanna make sure V doesn't forget about you? And Oka takes out a dagger strapped at their hip and they kind of twirl it in their fingers. Fine. Bring it on. Good. Uh and Oka just kinda comes at Rev with the, with the dagger. Yeah, on the dagger, like, plunging downward at Rev, uh, we're gonna cut to the Silver Standard Academy. 
which is this beautiful double buildinged uh, structure with this like garden and courtyard in front where chickens and a cows grazing out front. But we're not really concerned about the outside of the academy. We're going to push in through one of the wood lattice windows into a classroom uh, lit by several candles all around the perimeter of the room. It's not a very big room. We see a big chalkboard up front, a teacher's desk, and several other desks, um, maybe 30 in total, facing the chalkboard. Sitting behind the table with these organized stacks of parchment and scrolls and inkwells and brushes uh, surrounding her is Miss Gao, uh, the headmistress of the Silver Standard Academy with these tiny little spectacles perched on the bridge of her nose. This squat, very small, very dark woman sits behind uh, the desk and looks at the, the one person in one of the student seats in this classroom across from her, Manaya. Your grandmother looks at you. Uh, I think she, and she cried for a couple of minutes. Uh, was unable to really get any words out, but now has sort of like composed herself, sort of daubing at her eyes with like some tissue paper and then putting the paper aside. <sighs> she steeples her fingers in front of her chest and looks at you. I think uh, Manaya is too large to fit into these desks. And so she's like, as she's, as, as uh, Miss Gao is drying her tears and like Manaya is like, trying to fit her frame into the desk and there's like the clanging of like the the wood as she finally manages to sit and everything just kind of creaks a little bit <sighs> Manaya well I I had no idea Nali had a, a, a daughter I she never wrote she never came back she never visited I I, I thought she had just gone her own way. Where, where is Nali? Is she here with you in Dokao? Uh, actually. And Manaya, very clumsily and maybe potentially breaking some of the desk, uh, gets out of it and walks up to the desk, kneels in front of it so that she's like eye to eye, and, and grabs one of her hands. Miss Gao, Grem, Grandmama Gao, I, I'm so sorry. I, child, what are you, what are you apologizing for? I, but even as like her words come out, like sort of denying what you're about to say, you see tears well up in her eyes again. Like she knows what you're about to say and she just, no, no. No, no, this can't be. My, my Nali, she, she, she's strong and, and, and she is very independent, uh, and strong-willed. She, she's, she would have survived the cataclysm. I, I know it. She, she would have. She, she's, she's alive still, right? Manaya, she's, she's still alive. Tears are, uh, welling up in Manaya's eyes. And she looks away for a moment and then looks into her eyes and just very subtly shakes her head. Uh, and Jada takes a, a deep, shuddering breath and, like, squeezes, you know, one of your fingers, right, in her hands. 
Your hands are so big and her hands are so small, right? Your grandmother's hands are so small. Uh, and she just <sighs> sort of like curls up into herself and very slowly and almost gently lowers herself like face down into the desk. And you see these like big, deep, racking sobs sort of like shake her shoulders uh, as your grandmother just breaks down crying in front of you. Still holding on to one of her hands, Manai moves her other hand to gently rub her back as she whispers words of support. I, I know. I know. You feel the princess's grief coursing through your soul uh, like an ice-cold river. Just oh, as you Manai felt is her... like sobbing. Yeah, I'm sure you're like sobbing. Yeah, for sure. It like spills out of your eyes and it's just flooding your entire body. It feels like your heart has cracked open again. Uh, like you're seeing your mother die all over again, right? Like you're having the same experience that you thought, mm, that you thought that perhaps you, you were over with, but clearly that is not the case. And I think you and Jada and the princess all grieve for a while. Uh, there's just like a long while where, while the two of you hold each other. Um, and we see like, you know, one of the candles on on the chalkboard sort of like burn low and like the wax start dripping down as time passes and starts dripping onto the floor as Jada doesn't attend to it. And when we pan back away from the candle, Jada has sort of like cried herself out of tears. She has no more tears left to cry. Uh, she just sort of looks really tired. Jada just looks tired. And for the first time since you've met her, like you see her age sort of like hanging on her face through like these deep wrinkles and her eyes that look hollow and sad with just a little bit of spark of hope. And that spark ignites when she looks at you, Manaya. It's not right. It's not right for a mother to outlive her daughter. It's, it's wrong, Manaya, but such things do happen, especially in the wake of the cataclysm. God's preserve her soul. At least, at least her soul is in the after with her father's. Manaya, why, why are you here? Are you, are you here to come to live with me here in Dokao? I, I had no idea you even existed until, until, oh my, a couple hours ago at this point. Why, why are you here, child? I'm... Uh, I'm an adventurer. Just like your mother. Both on a journey to find ourselves. We're staying here for a few weeks, maybe a month and a half. But then we have to move on. <laughs> for me to find out that I, I have a granddaughter and, and for her to come into it and leave my life after just a, a month. I, this is a lot, Manaya, and I'm very old. I know. I'm so sorry. But you have a right to know. Nali, Mum, she, well, I guess the two biggest things. She moved to Hanahi, found Hanahi. two partners. Two? Oh my. I could barely handle the one. <laughs> well, between her and father, they caused no small amount of ruckus around the house. Well, tell me about your other parents, my... I suppose my children-in-law. In at this point, my... 
Go on. Tell me about them. Tell me about your mother and your father. Manaya tells her about her strong, courageous leader of a mother who had a voice that could command the very ship she stood upon, and the the soft, kind Napua who always had a trap laid, some sort of trick or trap around the house to dump water on your head or put a pie in your face, and Nali, mum, who was... Some even said she lived more outside the house than in. She was always moving. <laughs> well, that's just like Nali. I can see why she and Apua got along so much. <laughs> I bet Kailani had to be the one to rein them in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, mother learned how to have fun from those two. Well, your mother and your father, Kahilani and Apua, surely they... Or are they also... Oh, no. They're, they're, they're all right. Well, well, I, I must meet them. I, I have to. Where, where are they now? Are they also in Dokao? They're staying with a good friend of mine. The seas are too dangerous to try to sail back to Hanahi. They're in the Republic. The Republic? All the way to the north. Well, when all this is over, when the stars are restored and Meng Shinjudi willing, they will be, we must meet and... We must have dinner together. Foss, I'm sure you're a very busy woman with uh, with running the school and everything. But, uh, and Manaya finds a, a, a pencil and a piece of paper and writes down Dr. Lusa's address and says, hands it to her and says, this is the home of my good friend, Dr. Lusa, Dr. Hitsagutin Lusa. They're a very, very smart person. Oh, I've, I've heard of them before. Uh, Hitsagatan Aluso. Uh, that name rings a bell. They might have written a, a dissertation or, or some sort of piece of scholarship that I, that I read a number of years ago. Well, they must be very old at this point. Well, you wouldn't know it looking at them. Really? Well, I suppose you wouldn't know my age looking at me either. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that's where I get it from. <laughs> well, Manaya, why are you here? You said you were an adventurer... Can I help somehow? Before I explain why I'm here, I have one last thing to say about Mum. Of course. When she ran away, she met a an emissary of sorts of Sen. Oh my! An an emissary. W what what happened? Her name was the Princess of Leaves. She was exiled to the to the now for being. <laughs> A rowdy child of the Queen of Seasons. Oh, I've heard that emissaries are attracted to mortals who share their values. I never thought Nali would attract the attention of a divine being, though. Wh why do you bring up this princess, Manaya? When they met, Mum made a deal with her that in exchange for power, magic, <sighs> the princess would use her soul's energy to go back to the after. <laughs> I really... I, that is not how I thought that sentence was going to end, Manaya. One of the lessons I teach is about demonic packs. Ooh, well, I'm glad it was just as simple of an exchange as that. I, I was fearing the worst. Well, that's not so bad. Well, the deal was altered about a decade ago. Mom realized that she had 
settled down. She had a family. She had people she cared for more, even so, even more than she cared for her freedom. And the deal was altered that the princess would instead use her soul's energy to to save me should I ever come to her. And I did. And the princess is with me now. So, Nolly, Nolly she died, died to, to save, save you. The two of you say that at the same time. Uh, and your, your grandma nods and... Well, as far as ways to go, that one's not so bad. I'm so glad you're here, Manaya. So glad you've come to Dokawa. The threads of fate have brought us together. I- I'm, sh- I'm sure of it. Now, tell me why you're here, Manaya. At this, Manaya, like, freezes a little bit. Her childishness is showing where she's like, she has to keep a secret, but she keeps thinking about the secrets, but so she can't, like, think about anything else. And she says, uh, my adventurer friends and I were staying in the, uh, the guest quarters of the palace. We're writing biographies of, uh, each of the Emperor's partners. Oh my! You are- you're in the palace? Well, that is- oh, that is a, a high honor. Well, even guests of the palace, I- I've only ever been to the palace a few times myself, and, and that was to go to the royal library, because I am a, a proctor. One of the spouses of the Emperor has been so- I've been so honored to, to be under their patronage, but- oh my, Manaya! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like grandmother, like granddaughter, I see. <laughs> I suppose so. Lots of friends in high places. Well, certainly. Well, a biography then. Have fun writing it. I can't wait to hear all about this project. I'm sure it'll, it'll be all over the streets of Dokao in, in just a, a few weeks. Yes, of course. I mean, I like scratches the back of her neck a little bit. Oh, oh, you said... You make trips to the to the library. We've been well, meaning to actually. When I have a writ, of of course, I, I you have to get approved to go into the library if you're not of the palace. I see. Well, out of our adventurers' band, we only one of us knows the library, and I don't trust her with my with anything. But uh, would love to have a guide if you'd be willing. A guide in the library? Well, if you're allowed in. Certainly, I... I don't speak or read much, too, so I wouldn't be able to find my way around. Here. Take this. Uh, And your grandma rifles through her desk and pulls out a tiny pair of spectacles, like, identical to her own, and hands it to you. These should allow you to read, too. I actually confiscated them uh, from a student who was trying to cheat on one of my test exams because I had provided a question in Morosi, and of course they hadn't studied Morosi at the point. Uh, you, you, here, and she like, there's, I think there's like shutters on the side of the spectacles that change the color of the lenses, and she clicks it uh, to one that is blue and hands it to you. That should allow you to read, too. Oh, as much as I would love to go into the palace... Manaya, exam, examination preparations are really heating up. As you know, the exam is in just a few weeks, so my schedule is all booked up for the next few weeks. But these, these spectacles should help. Thank you. Kindly. Uh, grand- Grandma? 
Yes, yes, you can just just call me Nine Eye. Nine Eye. By the way, was her name actually Nolly? I always assumed it was her name because it was a Nuhan name, but her name was always Nolly. I'm happy to learn that at least she kept that from me. Oh, Manaya, I, I can't help but blame myself for Nolly's fate. I, the reason she left too long in the first place, as I'm sure she's told you, and I'm very ashamed of this part of our, of my past, is when I was younger and when your mother was still in Dokao. I tried to shape her, I tried to mold her into a vision of myself, into a version of Jada, not letting Nali be Nali. I wanted her to be successful. It all came from a place of love, of course. What mother doesn't want her daughter to be successful and happy? But the way I went about it was very rigorous. I needn't go into the details, but it was a very restrictive way, I think, to raise a child. and. After many long years of Nolly's absence, I've come to accept that she needed to go. That was her choice, and it was the right choice. She needed to leave and explore Andake on her own and figure out who she was for herself. No one could teach her how to do that. Not not even me. A sort of uh, a look of wistful understanding passes Manaya's face as she looks off, thinking about everything she's been through trying to find herself in the same way Nainai I don't want to keep you up too late I'm sure you have classes to do tomorrow so I'll leave you with this and Manaya takes a golden yellow leaf from her leaf cape maple leaf and she says to remember me by and Nali as well it should never wither if the rest of the leaves on this cape are anything to go by Thank you, Manaya. The princess as well, if you're in there and listening. Thank you. Uh, And your grandmother, Jada, tucks this leaf away. I think she opens up a locket that had been like around. She was wearing like a necklace around her neck that was tucked inside her tunic. She pulls it out, opens it up, puts the leaf inside and closes the locket lovingly. And before she closes the locket, you glimpse inside. There's like a little photograph of like a baby Nolly in the locket that your grandma has hung on to for decades. She closes the locket and grips it very tight and then puts it back by her collarbone. Well, my door is always open, Manaya. And if you want to take the Imperial exam, you know where to find <laughs> me. I'm, I'm the best prep teacher in all of Dokao and too long. And if I might toot my horn a little, all of Endake. I have a 33% pass rate for all of my students. Uh, f- for comparison, the next uh, most successful school has a 9% pass rate. Very impressive. She seems to like puff up a little when she says that and seems like very proud of herself. Oh, the hour's getting late. I'm sure you have exciting palace duties to attend to tonight. Manaya, uh, she, she gets up from behind the desk goes up to you, looking up at you. She's so small, Manaya, and you're so tall. And she hugs you around the legs. Manaya's still kneeling, I think. Yeah, she hugs you around the shoulders then, or maybe the arms, and 
Mwah! Gives you a big wet kiss on your forehead. Um, and I think on Jada giving you a kiss. Mwah! We are going to cut to a very different courtyard indeed. The calligraphy lettered on the signage above the archway leading into this courtyard reads, Handcrafted with Love. And within this building, we see Dewey sat at a circular dining table, being besieged on all sides by the late bloomers. Gwyn, Mamo, Azen, and Grandpa Hien are pestering you with questions upon questions upon questions. Grandpa Hien keeps trying to put fish on your plate and then vegetables when he remembers you're a vegetarian or a pescatarian. And then like ladles huge like dumplings and wontons and like big spoonfuls of soup at you like you've just got like i think food like gradually piling up in front of you uh as the late bloomers are besieging you with questions about how's oka where's oka how's the palace what you're a biographer tell us more you know like bam 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 like all over the place right and tarnak and kilohana are sort of like um bussing uh the the dirty plates and bringing in more food right as the night goes on like pouring some like uh a white, a white wine abides you uh, for Grandpa Hien, who's like cup runneth over always. And even though this like old drow man is like knocking back shots and finds you, like seems to completely hold on to like his wits throughout the entire night. Um, and like eventually, I think like the dinner conversation winds down. Um, Mama just says, I knew he'd be okay, Cardew. I saw a, a vision. I had a nightmare the other night ab about a bird roasting over an open fire. But it was a pheasant, not a pigeon. So, so I knew you'd be okay. If there was a pheasant Aarakocra somewhere in the city, though, oh my. Well, well that's okay, Mau Mau, says Gwyn, like cutting in this half-work boy with like a pumpkin-shaped head. I I'm sure Cardew, uh, sorry, Dewey, has things to attend to. Isn't that right? Uh, Mix Kaula and Mixia. And uh, the Tarnak and Kilohana smile and nod. Tarnak looks kind of awkward sitting there, has not said a single word during this entire dinner. But Kilohana has been the consummate guest, right? Always making sure pe people like have things to say. If there's a lonely conversation, bringing other people in. And with that, I think the night winds down for you. The late bloomers go to bed. They seem to be uh, sleeping here. Uh, during their stay in Dokao, Grandpa Hien as well. And eventually, the dining room clears out, leaving only you, Cardu, Kilohana, uh, and her uh, spouse, Tarnak. So, says the incandescent bronze tiefling, Kilohana. She turns to you, and her face, which was always like so like kind and open like toward the late bloomers, gets a little bit serious. What can we help you with, Dewey? So, that wasn't the whole story. And the whole story is too complicated to retell, but I need your help. It's sort of a building project. The couple looks at each other, and you see some interest glimmer in Tarnok's eyes. Tarnok perks up. A building project? We can help with that. I, I like to build things. Yeah, I figured... You're the best one to ask. One of the spouses uh, sent me your way. Oh, which one of the spouses? I, I can't believe our names are on their lips. What an honor. Oh, it was a uh, consort John, uh, the one who put me in this ridiculous getup. I think you look nice, Dewey. Oh, uh, thanks. It's uh, not my usual choice of attire. Well, you should take that as a, a high compliment, Dewey. Tarnak here never lies when giving artistic feedback. 
That's true. I once made an 11-year-old prodigy cry during her gallery opening. I don't understand why everyone called her a prodigy. Her work was derivative. Uh, Tarnock, love. Uh, and Kiki Luana quiets down her spouse, turns to you. Tell, tell us more about this building project. We spoke to the emperor and... Oh my! You, I'm sorry, I, I, continue. It's just not every day everyone, people get an audience with the emperor directly. And the emperor, I'm not, I'm not so familiar in these, you know, dream interpretation arts, but I would trust the emperor of all people. And someone harboring a shard of a god is to be assassinated. And I don't trust our current biographer plan to come to fruition. And I need a failsafe if we can't stop the assassination. Tarnok and Kilohana look shocked. Kilohana's like mouth has fallen open a little and her eyes are wide. And Tarnok's face is just completely like expressionless, like staring at you. And Kilohana goes, I'm sorry, do we, God, chart assassination? What? I'm sorry, I don't follow. I need to build something that can temporarily house a god. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for interrupting, Dewey. What do you mean by a god? Do you mean an emissary? Have you found an injured emissary somehow and need a new home for it? Or because the gods are gone? I don't quite understand it either, but... Dewey, I want to know, do you tell them about being a paragon or that paragons exist? There is a paragon and their name is on a hit list. I can't risk this plan that we have right now failing. Ah, Tarnok's the one who cuts in. I'm sorry, Paragon. Uh, y- you mean like the Paragons of your? In a sense. Kilohana and Tarnok look at each other. And then at the same time, they look back at you. And Kilohana says, I don't exactly understand what's happening, but something does seem clear to me. Dewey, which is that someone's life is in danger and you need our help. Is, is that right? Yeah, like I, like I said, I don't fully understand everything that's going on, but I, I need you to understand the gravity of the consequences if, if a paragon dies and there's nothing... To hold it. To hold the god. Right. Uh, Kilohana seems to be a quick study. She like nods and then Tarnok gets up wordlessly and moves into another room. And when Tarnok returns, they have like a huge scroll of paper and like some inks and quills. And they like put it like on this cleared dining table and Hilohana starts sketching. Like while talking, she's just like sort of drawing her ideas out. You see sort of like she starts sketching like a vase and then Tarnok like scribbles it out and like sketches like what appears to be like a, a homunculus or like a like a person-like figure, almost like an automaton from the URL, but then like scratches that out as well. And Kilohana goes, so if I'm understanding you correctly, Dewey, you need to build some sort of, you need our help to build like a, a, a vessel to hold a god, correct? In case their paragon dies? Yeah, to temporarily take the place of a paragon. I see. Well, and as Tarnok draws and doesn't say anything, he's just drawing on this paper, Kilohana gets up and like starts like rubbing her chin, and you sort of see this really analytical look come over her face that I don't know if you've seen before. And you remember what Tarnok said about Kilohana being like uh, curried by the URL, but she had turned them down. And she sort of like 
paces in these like tight circles, like around, like in front of the of the dining table, and says, "Let's see. Hmm. Well, what you need effectively is is some sort of a a, a vessel. Yes, a vessel, but not just any vessel, because if we're talking about a real god, do we?" than any regular vessel, even materials of, of the purest form, gold, silver, platinum, electrum, they would shatter. There's no way they could contain it. Maybe something like an ancient gem. Uh, perhaps a giant gem might be able to con contain it temporarily. And when she says that, your mind flashes to the gem on the tip of Bloodthirst's prosthetic tail. Uh, and then flash back to like Kilohana sort of talking out loud. Maybe that, but uh, no, even that would crack eventually under the stress. Uh, theoretically. And she stops, and you see almost like a, a Eureka moment, like coming over her face a little bit. Theoretically, Tarnak, the current vessel, the, the paragon that's still here, and Tarnak goes, Yes, dear, go on. If there was an essence, somehow taken from them, we'd be able to imbue it in the new vessel and make it whole. Yes. And they both turn to you and like expect you to cash on. Sorry, you want what from? To make a god jar, for lack of a better phrase, we would need the only way a, a vessel wouldn't crack immediately upon receiving the shard uh, the, of the god. Uh, we would need essence uh real essence from said paragon okay uh, the god jar would essentially act as some sort of simulated or artificial paragon right uh, but they're not actually of flesh and blood they don't actually have the soul that the paragon has in which to house the god that's how emissary packs work that's how warlock packs work uh cleric devotion etc uh, so for the god to take the jar, the vessel, would have to be saturated with essence from the god's actual paragon. But it's not as simple as, say, plucking a feather from you if you were a paragon, for instance, or uh, taking some blood from the actual paragon, that whose identity I'm not going to ask about. It's okay, Car it's okay, Cardu. But uh, it's not just blood or teeth or hair, uh, like used in a hag's ritual. It has to be of a soul. We would have to siphon out part of the Paragon's soul, not the whole soul, but a part of it, uh, and imbue it into the material of the vessel. There's no other way it would take. Is the soul resource uh, renewable, or does it permanently... It's renewable, but the Paragon, the person we take it from, would be weakened significantly for a period of time afterward. But they would come back. It's sort of like recovering from a bad cold, or... Uh, an intense surgical procedure or some sort of tr transfusion. Like a transplant of sorts. Exactly. A transplant. Tell me more about siphoning off this essence. Well, this is all theoretical, and I don't actually know how to do it. Kikilohana says, like, hesitantly. But I think I might know a way for me to know how to do it. Uh, you have access to the royal palace, yes? Uh, and the Royal Library? Yes. I need you to get these books for me. And she, like, pulls out, like, a, a smaller piece of parchment and writes down three titles of books. The first one is Thinning the Veils, Boundaries Between Mind, Body, and Heart. The second one is To Break a Soul. And the third one is Phylacteral Creation. And she hands this to you. 
I don't think any of these tomes should be in the Forbidden Stacks, but they might. If you, if you got these books to me, uh, Tarnock and I would be able to mock up a prototype, and then we'd be able to tell you how you need to go about acquiring this essence from, the, essence from this paragon. I'm afraid the process might be violent, uh, or at the very least, um, like, like a surgical procedure, you know, we'd be cutting them open. But if they knew what was happening, and it was safe, and people were around and protecting them while it happened, it, it should be okay. Let's, yeah, okay. I am, the initial plan sounds workable. Let's keep working, let's keep thinking about um, this extraction process. It might need some refinement before... That's okay, yes, you're, you're here for a few weeks, yes? That should be more than enough time for us to, to, to mock up a prototype, and we'll, and we'll let you know. Yeah, uh, if you could figure out the rest of the containment... Yes. Um, and Tarnock, then we'll worry about the ascent essence last. Of course. Um, oh, this is very embarrassing, Cardu. Uh, we have some funds, uh, but the cost needed for the rest of the materials for the vessel would be quite high. I'm thinking we need pure electrum for the vessel. I'm not sure where we would acquire an ancient gem of the giants. Uh, so in lieu of that, a lot of Electrum, and of course, Electrum is worth its weight ten times over in gold. So if you have any number of funds or know someone who might have some money to help us purchase these materials, I, I would be appreciative. Of course. We probably need, I, I would say, 5,000 gold pieces worth. Okay. Um, yes, that gives me plenty to work on. <laughs> uh... Uh, yes, Cardu, the books and the money. I promise this isn't a mail order scam. Uh, promise. Oh, 5,000 gold pieces. And maybe as you're lingering on that sentiment, you think of V. And upon, like, thinking of V, we cut back to the drunken crane, where V, we find you in the middle of a passionate and loving kiss with Lotus. And then, you know, Lotus's lips are so soft against yours. She smells so good, like this floral scent. Her hair is like tickling your neck and your shoulders and your arms. And she pulls away eventually after what feels like no time at all and what feels like a lifetime at the same time. That tastes exactly how I remember it. And V kind of opens her eyes and looks around. And then... She sort of, oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry, and V kind of like stands up and like starts walking away. She starts walking like to a fireplace that she and Lotus probably spent many a night around the fire after the bard closed up. Lotus, this is, this is so much to take in right now. 20 minutes ago, this bar was a complete mystery to me. I'd never seen it before, and now here I am. And I have memories everywhere. This is... I know every crack of this floor. I know every inch. And then she sees over, like, at the end of the bar, a stool. And she, like, starts to walk towards this stool. And she stops at one moment, and you see her, like, shifting her weight. She looks down. You fixed the floorboard! After all this time, you fixed it! I can't believe it! And she goes back to the stool. I... 
And like, she's thinking this out loud for her own benefit. This was my stool. And she like turns around so she's facing the whole bar. And she like puts her elbows on the, ba on the bar. She's like, I used to stare at all of your patrons all night long looking for a good mark. Looking for anyone who might be out to rob you. I've spent so many hours at this, at this stool. It's my stool. This is so strange. Lotus goes over to you as you're like on the stool and she gestures for her to see if she like pick up the stool. Um, and she does. And she like flips it up and you see like your own initials carved into like the bottom of the wood, like underneath the stool. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah, this was... <laughs> oh, that was so long ago. This is so... How much time has passed since then? I stopped counting the decades. Decades at least. You have to believe me. When I, when I gave up memory, I thought I'd forget, like, shh, that morning. Shh, shh. I, I believe you, V. And she, like, walks up to you, like, looming down over you, because she's taller than you, and kisses you again. In front of the stool. And at first, she's like, you just, V just relaxes into it. And her arms sort of like wrap around her waist. And she leans into it at first. And then, but then you, Lotus feels a little bit of hesitancy and, and there's like a pulling away, but the lips are like the last thing. And then V like pulls away. Look, I know that usually I'm one for keeping secrets, but I feel like we have to talk about some things. Uh, of course, darling. Uh, how about we talk about it upstairs? I upgraded my bed to a king-sized. Oh, my heart. V, there's like this tension building and like she's revving up because her heart wants nothing more than to go up to that bedroom to find that bed. And eventually the anxiety just, the, the tall, undead vampire drow, that is my girlfriend. Uh, oh. And we've never had the, what happens when you run into your lover from decades ago who you completely forgot existed conversation yet in our relationship. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, uh, of course. Of course, you would have found someone else. That makes sense. No, this is a very recent... Look, seven years ago, I had my heart ripped out of my chest. Not literally, although that has happened recently. Vasanti, uh, I have been waiting over 50 years for you. Can your girlfriend wait one night? Please? I have to tell you some things before we do. I feel like I must. Okay. If I go up to that room, there's no conversation up there. I just want to be wrapped in your arms. I want to feel... I want so many things, but I'm trying to be a better person for once in my life. <laughs> Uh, how many years have you been saying that for, Visanti? <laughs> Almost all of them. 
probably ever since I, you know, gave up trying to find my father so long ago. I remember. Oh, whatever it is, spit it out so we can go upstairs already. This is going to come as a shock to you, but your friend... Try me. Okay, well, you know I'm always getting into ridiculous situations, correct? Of course. Have you ever heard of paragons? <sighs> you mean the children's tale? Of course, who hasn't? Well, funny story. Apparently, I am a paragon. You know, you've pulled a lot of jokes with me in the past, but this is the most bald-faced one. I wish and I'm the emperor. V like, searches deep down for a scot and nectus. Okay. Okay. With a little bit of an energy, like, just like, imagine, V is like sending her, her energetic self deep down in there and is like, scot, nectus, I know it's late, I know, I... I could really use, like, just just the most minute of evidence that I have some gods inside of me. Is there just, like, any little part of the trick? Any just, could you make some things do some things? Would you like to use the Paragon mechanic, uh, ask, ask them for a favor? Yes. That seems like that's what this is. <laughs> so I have homebrewed Paragon mechanics that we're finally going to see in action here outside of, uh, outside of Gamble. So... You do not have a favor held, so you would have to push your luck. Why not? I want to see you do it all the time with the wrong god. Okay. When you push your luck, describe the kind of help you hope to receive and roll a d20. All right. What I'm hoping for is that um, Scott and Nectus maybe burst forth from a V um, just for a few moments and just like, Show off that uh, they're real and uh, they've got this amazing power. Maybe just like, you know, uh, a more le elaborate light show than what V is normally capable of doing. And then they can go back and, and take a nap. Roll a d20. Oh, gosh. Um, can I use a luck point? I have luck. It's one you of can. Feats. We also have the auto crit on the table. So bad things happen on a 2 to a 19 when you push your luck. And even worse things happen on a one. It's only going off without a hitch if you roll a nat 20. So you can use a luck point or you can use the auto crit. I'm going to use an auto crit to impress my... Okay! The auto crit has been rolled. So on a 20, you only have to pick one of the following two bad options instead of both. So, either your gods need you to promise something first, and the promise will be binding, or their intervention creates trouble as well. And I'm going to describe the consequences. I'm going to go with I have to make a promise. Okay, so as you reach deep down this energetic well inside your soul, you hear Skad and Nectus's voices rising up like a tide within you. You hear Skad go... Well, 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 the first time he asks for our help and it's to get some tail. Can't say I didn't see this coming. Uh, and you hear Nectus go, come, come now, love. We can relate, can't we? I suppose we can, but this is a rather, not gonna lie, pathetic way to ask for our help for the first time. Not even when your life is on the ropes. Fine. 
We'll let you impress your ex-girlfriend, but only if you give us something first. And I think the thing we would like from you, V, is for you to promise to us that you have to always follow your heart. Okay. Your heart got you into this mess, V. It's the only way that'll get you out. Okay, I promise. And on you saying, I promise, V, you float off the ground and light explodes out of the gem embedded in the middle of your chest on your armor, right? Your hair sort of fans out like a halo around you, like white streaked through with emerald, like Kelly green. Your eyes burst open and like, green light shoots out of one and purple light shoots out of another, right? A push fills the interior of this tavern and like wind push whirls around you like you're the eye of a storm. And as the wind whirls and the light explodes and your hair fans out and you're floating, the interior of the tavern wipes away and changes, like the location seems to change. You're no longer inside the drunken crane. You are on the top of a bluff of a cliff, of a beautiful green cliff overlooking like this vast valley, right? You and Lotus both, you're floating up there uh, and you see these like two glowing lights shoot out of your chest. One of them seems to take on the form of Skod, this like deep crimson, uh, like form that looks vaguely like elven and the other one seems to resemble nectus purple like wisps with like horns coming out one broken right uh, and they like intertwine around each other uh, and shoot up into like a huge pillar of light into the sky and where they hit the sky poosh, the sky turns red and purple all emanating from you as like the nexus point and lotus is like staring at you on the hill like like her like hair is like flipping wildly everywhere her eyes are wide she's like staring all around you see she's drawn a dagger like hidden inside like her clothes and it's like what like looks like near panicked and then the like sucks back into your soul like this cliffside dies down and the last thing we see before we shrink back into lotus's tavern is v perched on the edge of that cliff in an exact mirror uh, of the previous paragon of Scott and Ectus when you met them for the first time. And then we're back in the tavern. And Lotus like stumbles, I think, and like holds, holds on to you to catch yourself. It's easy. It's okay. It's okay. Um... So that's Scott and Nectus, they're, you know, they're, they're an item. They kind of just live inside of me while I'm uh, getting ready for a possible showdown for the future of all of Endake. Simple. She stabilizes herself against you, nods once, and then like gets up, you know, like, like pushes herself off of you and hold, like cups your waist. In like one hand and like the side of your face in the other, she looks down at you breathing really hard. Her hair is still like messed up from like the billowing winds on the cliff. You're, I think even you're, you are like, was that real or was that an illusion? Like, what was that? Uh, she's looking down at you and she just says, Visanti, I have never been more turned on in my life. Well, we still have some communicating. However, we could make our way upstairs. I just... As we're walking, just one brief conversation. Have you heard of perhaps any 
oh, I don't know, plans afoot for any type of assassination that may be happening in the next few weeks or so? Or <laughs> just, just asking for a friend. Here's how we're going to do this, V. And Lotus sort of like steps forward and like pushes you back against the bar looking down at you, right? We're going to go upstairs. I'm going to fuck the brains out of a paragon. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then I'll tell you everything I know. This sounds like possibly the greatest night of my life. Let's go. We cut to fade to black on that. And when we cut back again, we see you, V, and Lotus in bed. Uh, and you're just, you're chilling in bed. Uh, blanket strewn around you. It's a brand new king-size bed. It's nice. Uh, there's like a, like a floor-to-ceiling mirror at the foot of the bed, which was also nice. Uh, and as the two of you are sort of like snuggling on this mattress together, uh, maybe you're like, you're tracing like the scars, right? On like uh, Lotus's chest, like these big knotted scars all over her red chest looks at you and she says, here's a virgin martini for you. Uh, she like picks one off of like the nightstand and hands it to you. Oh, wow. I, I forgot what it's like to have breakfast in bed. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Not very many people who come to my bar ask for a virgin anything, but the only other person who's ever asked for a virgin martini specifically, and they only wanted a, a, an olive in a chilled glass, so not even a drink like you. It was just an olive in a chilled glass. It stood out to me. <laughs> I thought that was so odd. Some noble. Oh, do you? Interesting. Do you have a name for said noble? No, I didn't get a good look at their face. They were swaddled up in furs and scarves. I guess it's been getting colder, but it stood out to me. They clearly didn't belong. I knew they were a noble by the way they held themselves and the way their pinky lifted when they when they ate that olive. Well, that was their first mistake. You never keep a pinky up in in, you, in a, the bar. Uh, no, in a dive live. bar like that. No. Besides, I'm almost positive. They were wearing some sort of spell. Uh, when I was getting their drink, quote-unquote, drink order, uh, their face underneath the hood of, the, of their furs was all fuzzy and hard to look at. They really didn't want anyone to know who they were. They were meeting with this, um, this blue-skinned half-orc. Interesting. You said something about an assassination attempt? I don't know anything about that, but that seemed suspicious to me. Well, you know, these these things tend to run amok against each other. Noble, you know, doesn't want to be seen in, in, in a very lovely establishment. Don't get me wrong, but a little bit of a shadier establishment. That's why I, that's why oh, I come no, here. No, the drunken crane is a shithole. No, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you fixed a, a floorboard. That's, you know, that's progress. You have a nice oh, bed. brand new squeaky floorboards, trust me. But, uh... You know, nobles are, nobles are always noble, and this is what they do. They like to be tricky, and we like to be trickier, don't we? We certainly do. That's how we con them out of their money. I always put the uh, cheaper liquor on the top shelf when the nobles come in, because they're so out of touch with reality, they'll believe anything. I once sold uh, some minor noble from the palace a glass of wine for 50 gold. Oof. It wasn't even real oh. wine. 
this is what I love about you. This is why we get along so well. <laughs> so why are you asking about this assassination attempt? As she props herself up like on a hand, looks at you, intrigued. Oh, you know, I always get myself in the situations. It's funny that you should say this. It's, it's uh, you know, there may or may not be an attempt on somebody's life who may be Whose important. life? Whose head is on the chopping block? I mean... Some noble? Ooh, an officiant? Maybe a business owner? You know, it could be a noble. It could be one of the husbands or wives or, or spouses. Whoa. It could be the whoa. emperor themselves. Who knows? That's what I'm, I'm asking whoa, around. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? You just never... I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing with all the weird things happening in Nandake over this past, you know, several months. Visanti, you've always been good at lying, just not to me. <sighs> Is... And she scoots in and, like, brings her voice down to a hushed whisper. Is... Is the Emperor... Well, is it? There is... A prophecy. We all know that V doesn't believe in destiny, but there is... Reason to believe, thanks to prophecies, that the Emperor's life may be in danger, and it is... With very much... Uh... Behoove... Whatever that means, uh, Vinak Sherzo, if the Emperor stayed alive, perhaps for a little while longer. Well, of course, she's the Emperor. I remember when uh, Emperor Jir was on that throne. You do, too. He was not a very good Emperor. But the Emperor that we have now, Mongshen Drudi blessed, she's a good one. She cares about us, about the people. If someone wants to assassinate her, it can't be someone of the common people. I, I would be very surprised if it was. Well, I'm going to be investigating. If you see me around, I may be pressing the story that I'm biographer. We are speaking to all the spouses, and we're writing this epic biography of the once estranged, perhaps still estranged, uh, Prince Oka... You know, we're writing, so we're just, I'm going to be around, I'm going to be asking questions, I'm going to be, you know, I want to get to the truth. I want to get to an accurate depiction of royal family. This is the emperor, this is, you know, we want to do justice in the histories of time. You, you get the con, right? I, I do. V, uh, V. I know better than anyone that information is power here in the streets of Dokao. Do you have any magic that can erase the memory of the fact that the Emperor is the one on the chopping block from my mind? I, I don't want to know this. Oh dear. Oh dear. Let's... Um... <clears throat> no, not really. I can... Is it... Are we in the next day? Ooh, no, I think it's still night, but it's real late, like maybe early morning, but not like day, day. Because if we go the next day, there's pos there, there is a chance with Gamble. <laughs> oh my there God. are things within Gamble that could, that would be the closest way that a V could possibly carry out this ask. I think I would allow you to maybe like make an arcana check just with your ambient magic. To see if you can do it, because why Why not? If you would like to. Yeah, I would like to try that. Nat 20. 
Okay, I okay. So describe to me what it looks like. V is reaching back down into the uh into the throes of her magical ability and she's squeezing real hard for like to to summon gamble and she knows that it's not quite been a full day yet since the last time but she's like it's called a necklace i i know i've already been asking a lot for you but please please let me just use this gamble one more time and like v concentrates on her palm and just you see glowing green shifts to purple to green and then there's a brief flash and it's and gambles in her hand now i don't know I don't know which card is which at this point. I don't have these it's, memorized. That's fine. You 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 describe it as you're now 20, so how do you erase this memory from Lotus's mind? So V is going to just pull let's just make it romantic. She pulls a lover card. She holds it up. And let's like let's flavor this with like the love that pulled because it took a lot of magic to pull that memory back into V's head because of that love. And so there's something about this card that seeps, uh, let's say V takes Lotus's hand and places it in Lotus's palm, card facing up. V puts her other hand on top of it and it just sort of glows, uh, purple going up, green going down, and the card just dissipates into both of them. And the memory of what V just revealed about the assassination plot um, just sort of ever so lovingly drifts. You can almost see it through V's magic arcane eyes. You can see the memory just like and like a small wisp and dissipate into the weave. Lotus sighs deeply and when she opens her eyes again she is looking at you with such love in her gaze and she says I don't know what I just forgot, Visanti, but thank you. I promise you, it was nothing important. <laughs> oh, look at the time. Oh my, it's almost six in the morning. I have some things I need to attend to. Um, I assume you do as well, darling. You have to talk to that girlfriend of yours, don't you? Yeah, that's, uh... Looks like V's got a series of unfortunate conversations to have. Um, look, I'm... There's a lot going on, and I cannot tell you the truth about when I can be back. But I promise I will, as soon as I can. Even if it's on my way out to do other things, but my time is very limited and we have a lot to take care of me and my friends. I understand, but if you're not back here before you go on to the next leg of your Paracon adventure, she leans in and she whispers like a terrifying threat into your ear that I am not going to repeat on stream. And then she like pulls back, smiles and kisses you. Now run along. V replies in Jukai something um, along the effects of, oh my god, like, but like in a much more profane, wow, that was <laughs> fucked up uh, way and and makes her way out. Um, and actually, instead of like just using the door like a normal person, <laughs> V like looks through the windows, sees like that there's no one like really out there and just like dimension doors through the wall. And then just like 
into the nearby alleyway and then like comes out of the alleyway and makes her way back to the palace. Okay. So V had a very eventful evening, but I think while that was happening and as V makes her way back to the palace, we are going to wind back the clock just a little and cut back to the guest quarters of the slumbering palace where Oka, you and Rev have returned here first. I think you beat Manaya and Dewey both here and you certainly beat V coming home. It's just the two of you in these quarters, right? Uh, and it's late at night. Oka, tell me what you're doing. Oka is standing on the bathtub because they're short. Uh, and they're like, I said it looks fine from the back. You don't have to be such a baby about it. It looks good. I'm not a baby. You're a baby. You're a baby. You've the one who's been crying every 25 minutes. It looks good. Okay. And we pan up and we see Rev standing in front of the mirror. Uh, actually, no, we see Rev's feet first. And we see just like strewn all over the floor of the bathroom is just hair, black hair mostly, but also strands of white, right? We pan up the length of Rev's body to see that she has cut her hair, or rather that Oka has cut her hair for her. It is now shaved completely on the sides with this sort of like rough tuft, like on top in this undercut. Rev sort of scratches the nape of her neck where we see like little baby hairs, you know, like, like plastered to it. Ugh. It's all itchy. I remember why I hate cutting my hair so much. Okay, well then take a bath. Fine. Get off, short stack. As she like turns around and starts to muscle you off the bathtub. Punch her in the back a little. It's like punching a brick wall. <laughs> I do it anyway. You take one point of bludgeoning damage. I do not. You take two points of bludgeoning damage. You can't tell me anything, Connie. I do not take that damage, motherfucker. You take seven points of bludgeoning damage as your hand glances off of Rev's back and you hear your bones break. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not writing it down. I won't do it. I refuse. Anyway, you punch her in her muscular back. She doesn't even seem to register it like a little bee trying to like sting an elephant. Um, and she starts like, like drawing water, right? I wonder where the rest of everyone else is. It's pretty damn late. I thought we'd be the last to return. I don't know. I thought Dewey was just going to the bathroom. Well, maybe Dewey and Manaya are also both cooking up with their exes here. You know, Manaya, definitely not. Dewey? That guy's a wild card. Maybe his ex-wife lives here, and he forgot because he's so fucking inattentive. What's your problem with him anyway? Rev, I think, is like settling into the bath. At this point, I feel like your relationship has developed into like bros so like rev is like full-on naked here but like that doesn't bother you and she just like settles into the bath and like you see like little hairs rising up as she's like washing like the like washing her arms of, of her hair i don't know i i just don't like him why he's just a guy because well i guess it boils down to the fact that the myriad is after him and yet his cowardly ass is still alive oh I guess that does kind of make sense. I know that's not his fault. I shouldn't be upset that he's alive. I should be happy. He's a paragon too. I I know. I know. It's just... The Raven Queen always speaks to me of there's a time and place for everyone to die, and sometimes that time and place doesn't align with what the fates have in store for us. That's what happened to Leaf. But it was what was supposed to happen to me. 
I guess it's just hard for me to accept that some people are meant to live, even if they're bad. Bad people get good things, and good people have bad things happen to them all the time. If we're supposed to believe that destiny is real, then it means that what little free will we have... Uh, you know what I'm getting at, Oka? It's not fucking fair, is it? That's why I was so mad at you, I think. Because V comes back after, what, 50, 60 years? Who the fuck knows how old she is? Her lover takes her back. <laughs> you and I have, you know, we've both been dead. We've both been not dead anymore after that. It doesn't make sense. Why? <laughs> what I've been trying to find out. Seven years, why? Why did I have to die? Why did you have to die? Why are we both still here? Rev pauses for a long time, and I think both of you just sort of hear the water trickling a little and like sloshing as she's like just staring into the waves. And then she looks at you. And for once her hair, you know, her face isn't cloaked by all this hair. It's like you can see her more clearly now in a way, right? You can see like the, the chiseled line of her jaw, like, um, like the sharp angles of her face, you know, like her like strong cheekbones and her full lips. And she looks at you and says, go get her. Fuck it. Fuck more. Go get Halo. What? <laughs> what do you have to lose? We both died, huh? We're both back. We're both here. If death can't hold us down, why are you letting some shitty little twinky dragonborn boy like like hold you down? I'm not. He's just a fucking. <laughs> it's complicated, Rev. Okay, it's complicated. It's it's it's. Maybe she doesn't. Okay. I saw the way she looked at you in that throne room. Okay. I don't know if anyone anyone else noticed, but when you were fighting your mother-father, I turned and I looked and I saw. She had clasped her hands over her mouth. Her eyes were wide. She was sobbing and she was looking at you. That is, that is not how someone who's uncaring about their ex-lover would act. And is that what I should do to her? Again and again and again, make her cry. <laughs> Make all of them cry. Because I'm still here, I'm still back. But not in the real way. What, she'll get married to a ghost? She'll be happy with that. With me. After all this time. We both need to cherish what time left we all have on this earth. Oka. You shouldn't rob yourself of that. You shouldn't rob her of that. Everyone goes eventually. Everyone dies. We all know that. You still love her. And I think she still loves you too. It's your choice, Oka. You could let it be. You could let her marry that asshole. Or you could ask her how she really feels and find out for yourself. But my advice, don't rob her of the chance to talk with you. You could just say you want me to leave the bathroom, and I will. I don't mind, actually. It's nice to have someone to talk to. Fine. 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 I'll be back. Uh, and I think, like, Rev continues to bathe. You get up. Are you leaving that night? 
Or you could like sit on it a little bit. It's it's up to you. Well, Oka doesn't think they act. If they have been spurred to act, then they shall go. Okay. Okay, you get up to leave. Uh, on your way out of the bath, uh, I think the door slides open and Dewey comes back home. Hey, you were out late. You're still up? Where, wait, where are you going? Where are you coming back from? I thought you just had to go to the bathroom. Uh, yeah, long story. Um, you didn't reveal any of our plans to anyone, right? No, I didn't even have a drink, unfortunately. V, on the other hand, I have no idea. What? What? Uh, she, uh, there's a... And Uko looks at the bathroom. Long story. Um, long story. It's fine. Probably. It's probably fine. Where's Manaya? I was only joking when I said that she should be afraid. And I think that's maybe when, like, Manaya comes in as well. Like, the door opens again and Manaya's there. Oh, good. I thought you were dead, maybe. Nine, I made it safe. You can go home now. You don't have to walk all the way here. Oh. Who is that? Oh, oh, it, it's, it's, it's nobody. So we all oh. just had cool, uneventful nights. Oh, no. Uh, v got us all thrown out of the bar. But uh, in the opposite way that you're probably expecting? <laughs> Why am I not surprised? No, no, no. Uh, it's just that she could be in the bar with... Rev? Rev's in there. No, no. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and Oka kind of just pulls them both aside. Um, just be nice to Rev. Okay? Tell her her hair looks nice. Her hair? What does her hair have to do? And that's when, like, the bathroom door slides open and dressed, you know, like, freshly showered. Like, Rev's running like a towel through her new hair. The Manaya and Dewey, you see, is, like, short now. Oh, and she like puts the towel like into a hamper and like like closes the bathroom door. Hey, hey, you look good. Oh, what? Huh? Oh, this. Thanks. Yeah, I just figured it was time for a change. Girlfriend drama. And Oka shoots the worst look at Dewey. Dewey, <laughs> he was looking past uh, like through the open door, and there's just like piles of hair on the ground in the bathroom. He's like. Uh. Rev just says, bathroom's free. Uh, and without cleaning it up, just sort of like muscles past all of you and heads toward like her and V's and Oka's room. I'm going to take a smoke break. It's late? Yeah. All right. Just keep it outside, all right? Yes, darling. And I'll have breakfast ready when you come back since we're all staying up so late. Because you are the sweetest thing in the world. Uh, and oh, Oka kind of try. Oka lifts her arms all the way up on uh, Manaya's, like, over her shoulders and, like, gives her a little kiss on the cheek. But in, like, a, uh, what's it called? A patronizing way, almost. <laughs> and Manaya uh, blinks a couple times uh, at that and is like, <clears throat> and she ruffles Oka's hair and is like, well, Bedtime is 2 a.m., all right? All right. Manila starts shaking their head. All right? It's already 2.30. Oh, it is. Fine. And Manila, like, throws their head aside. 3 a.m. then. Ugh, I want to hear that door fun. open. 
it's fine. It's fine. We, I don't imagine we'll be hearing the door open again. I think I should. And they kind of look after where Rev went off. Uh, and they look at the door, which has not opened yet. I think I'll pass on the smoke break tonight. You're going to handle that and Dewey points towards where Rev went? Yeah. Did I do a good job? Oh, the hair? I mean, she looks good, right? She does look good. Might have to try a shorter style next time. Anytime, just ask. Did you do that with a knife? Yeah. Impressively close shave. Thank you. I know my way around. A knife. I'm gonna go see if she's probably crying. I'm gonna just... I'm gonna go. I'm not crying. All you sort of hear, like, Rev shouting, like, from the other room, but, like, she sounds a little, like, sniffly. Uh, just a little. She she says, by the way, let's get some sleep. We're all gonna wake up at crack of eight o'clock anyway. We need to get started on that assassination thing. Yeah, shout it louder, Rev, for the neighbors. We need to get started on that assassination. I'm gonna go shut her up. Okay. And okay, you pile into Rev and V in your room and... Dewey and Manaya, you also start winding down for the night. Both of you holding on to, like, secrets. I think all of you are holding on to some secrets here, except for maybe Oka and Rev. Um, and I think the night passes. As always, all of you, except for V, who stayed up all night, uh, wake up at 8 a.m. precisely, gasping and drenched in sweat from that nightmare. Does V come home at, like, 6? Well, how long does it take to get from from there to there? Maybe half an hour. I think V does need to take a little bit of time to think through everything. I think V probably comes in at like 7 a.m. Probably take a little bit of a nice walk. And it's like... She probably actually sees her friends all like tossing and turning from, from dream. And she's just like... Why even bother trying to sleep at this point? I might as well just push on. So she sort of sits cross-legged at the foot of the bed, just kind of watching Rev sleep. And yeah, just watches Rev. V, when you creep in ever so slightly and you sort of hear like Dewey and Manaya and Oka and Rev sort of groaning in their sleep, like tossing around, um, you, you tiptoe into Rev and Oka in your room to see Oka sort of like almost like leant up, I think leaned up against like the headboard and Rev's like head is like in Oka's lap, uh, having fallen asleep. And you sort of see just like a little tuft of hair and you realize that like Rev has cut her hair as you come in and you see that. Oh dear. It looks like Rev had herself quite a night. Oh, oh dear. Um, and then V, uh, Continues to sort of creep around a little bit and just sort of is. I mean, basically, did the three of us kind of share this bed? Is that so? Oka would not share a bed. Rev fell asleep crying in their lap. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I think they have their two beds. Oka's bed is over there. Your two beds is over here. But you're in our bed. Yes, because your girlfriend fell asleep crying in my lap. All right, all right. Um, so I think V sees all this and knows 
you know, from one frying pan into another, she's just sort of waiting for Rev to wake up, and she's very, she likes the haircut, though. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, almost like blushing a little bit at this new new haircut. But again, she she knows the time. She knows that there's not much left before they all wake up, so she's just going to sort of observe them and and not try to disturb them as they finish this nightmare that they experience every night. V's unsure what happens if you try to. Like, what happens if you try to wake someone up and have one of these nightmares? V doesn't want to know. Okay. You wait until 8 a.m. on the dot, and all at once, all of your friends gasp and jerk awake at 8 a.m. And for those of you who are suffering from the nightmare, it's the exact same repetition. It's the same pattern. The battlefield, the blood, the eyes, the wings, the monsters, and that one change, one of you, the paragon of Mengshen, Zhidi, reaches out and p- reveals for just a, a split second the face of an old woman of Yudabathi's paragon, and then p- that's when all of you wake. And <gasps> Rev, like, pushes up, like, off of Oka, like, makes, shoves Oka kind of hard and sort of gets upright and <sighs> looks around and her eyes lock on you, V. Even as Oak is also thrashing awake. Hi. V. Uh, and for half a second, it looks like Rev wants to go over to you and like hug you. She's really vulnerable, like right after this nightmare. But then you see her face sort of close up a little. <clears throat> v. <clears throat> and she like gets up and like wiggles away from Oka. Uh, I think Oka... Uh... Like, kind of like almost punched at her, and then they're ah, 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 ah. I'm gonna go. Good morning, V. Good morning, Oka. And Oka passes V, takes like two steps back, kisses her on the forehead, and then keeps going. Okay. Uh, we're actually gonna follow Oka as Oka walks out of this room and, like, passes Manaya and Dewey, who are also gasping awake in their respective beds. Uh, Oka, I think, just, uh, is just stumbling around because they're still not quite awake and they just wanted to get out of their room as fast as possible. I think to the point where they just kind of, like, uh, stumble outside, um, like, looking in their clothes. Because they didn't really even expect to fall, you know, they were like, oh, she's just gonna cry on my lap. But then they both fell asleep. They, like, grab for their cigarette box and start, like, heading toward the door. Manaya, Dewey, are either of you going to do or say anything? Um, I think that Dewey in the mornings has gotten used to, like, since everyone does this little, like, thrashing around right after the nightmare, uh, he instinctively, like, wakes up and then, like, ducks and covers, because... Because Oka has punched him one too many times. Manaya's axe misses him by a centimeter. I was going to say, Manaya has long limbs, but yes... He's uh, taken a couple of hits in the mornings. And, like, he, like, rolls off the bed. But yeah, I don't think he notices Oka go up. Okay. Manaya? I think maybe Manaya has the closer bed to the door. Um, and as she, like, gasps awake and she has her axe in her hand, she puts her axe back and watches Oka walk out. It's probably par for the course that they just smoke in the morning. Because the dream and everything and everything. But as the door closes, I think uh, Manaya's gaze lingers on their. Uh, would you be able to see their shadow through the door? 
are they like those like thin like paper doors that I'm thinking of? I think less so paper and more so like there's like it's like wooden lattice windows, so you can sort of see through the gaps in the wood. Okay. Uh yeah, I mean I had Skay's lingers on Oka for just a little while to make sure they're not like running. She gets up. <sighs> Never gets so late, do we? Uh, he was just groaning. At least I didn't bust in the wall above your head. Would you keep that axe further from your bed, please? Maybe you know it's. I can't do that. It's my mother's axe. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have it. I know you just grab it every morning, and it's. It scares me. Ugh. Yeah, no, it's fine. Did uh, did V come back last night? Well, Oka's outside, so I would assume so. Oh. oh. Um. And I think as is like, well, Oka's outside, so I assume so, the shadow kind of wavers and then starts moving away. As Oka starts to walk down the path back toward somewhere else. Uh, wait there, Dewey. Manaya like, slides out of bed uh, and opens the door, goes, Oka! Ah, 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 yes, uh, <clears throat> yes, Manaya. Uh, and I think they say that because they were like looking into one of the fish ponds and like trying to f- fix their hair. Uh, and they're maybe a little embarrassed that they got caught and they take the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, what? Gonna have breakfast with us or? I, um, it, it's just the. She'll have work for the rest of the day, so I wanted to try to see if I could I could catch her now. I I should. What can I say? I feel inspired by the fact that you're gonna have to wait for V and Rev to have a very long conversation. So I'm just gonna get started on my thing too. I think. Does Loco like speed walk away? They, they stand. They kind of just st- stand there for a minute. Wait, what happened with V and Rev? Did. Oh, Manaya, my sweet summer child. <sighs> oh, you remember my birthday. <laughs> How could I forget? Mahu's waves. Mahu's waves. Love is a fire, Manaya. It burns. It burns. That's unusually metaphorical for you. I'm getting back into it. <clears throat> but try not to reveal any more secrets to any more wives today. Hey, that was the... Just the one time. (laughs) Come on, you're so good at talking to people, Manaya. You inspire courage in all of us. I think you got this more than you think you do. They're really not that bad. I mean, they're horrible, but they're not that bad. (laughs) Remember, I grew up like one of them. I was about to say, it runs in the family. (laughs) You're gonna be okay, all right? Just keep your wits about you. You're smart. I'm just uh, distracting myself now. I need to go, I think. Be back by lunch? Easily. Okay. I think we're going to follow Oka. Uh, as Oka turns and leaves, stepping out of the courtyard, uh, your feet taking you, I think, where you need to go. So why don't you tell us, Oka, where are you headed? Uh, that self-same beautiful uh, pagoda that they crashed through, they are heading back there. 
Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, you wind your way through the slumbering palace, walking past uh, gurgling brooks, uh, going over stone bridges, uh, watching your own reflection beam back at you out of the water as like the dark forms of fish swim through it. Um, and you eventually find yourself in front of that huge spiraling pagoda. On your way there, the rest of the palace is already abuzz and working. You see servants hustling about. The The buzz increases as you approach the pagoda. It appears servants are starting to set up the palace for the wedding. That's gonna happen in just a couple of weeks. Uh, yep. You see like little like gardens starting to get cleared, right? For like a stage area, it seems. You see like, you even see like an elephant being brought through like the area, but like several servants like wrangling it. And <laughs> It's like big tusks capped with gold. Okamoto's under their breath, tacky. <laughs> and following the elephant is a parade of peacocks. Actually, all like ruffling their feathers. Even tackier. And maybe upon seeing like the eye images on like the peacock's feathers that like, ugh, like flashes you back to the dreams of like bleeding eyes for like just, just like a half second as like the peacocks stride through parade and prance through this garden area. It's almost like the entire universe is conspiring to, to give you a bad day. Um, but what's even worse is the servants don't dare look at you and whisper, but the other nobles in the palace do. You, the prodigal child who has returned, hear so much murmur, so much murmuring all around you as you walk alone toward Halo's home. You see like like a group of like noble women ooh, like shield their faces with fans and like look over them and like look at you and then look at each other and then look at you. You know, you see like a group of like officiants like turn their noses up and away from you and like go back to their scrolls, but like glancing back at you, you know, like as you walk. It very much feels like you're a pariah here. Yeah, Oka makes their way. Uh, I think by the end, they're getting, they were like, I'll be fine, I can do this. And then two minutes in, they're like, I am gonna punch someone. Um, and I think they like, the next time that somebody, like one of the like, like a noble woman like does the thing with the fan, they just kind of like, and blow a kiss, you know? <laughs> and uh, scoff and keep walking to keep their composure because they don't want to be angry when they get to Halo's courtyard. Okay, you eventually make your way to the courtyard proper, uh, where you see just like servants are bustling about. Again, it seems like maybe, excuse me, the wedding will be held here, but also across the entire palace. Uh, it's gonna be a huge wedding with lots of venues and lots of things to look at. So Halo's home is one of the places uh, where events will be held for the wedding, right? Uh, and you look up at this huge spiraling pagoda at like the plate mail covered guards standing at attention at its base. And you see that window that you crashed through at the top that has since been repaired. What do you do? Is there any sign of Halo around? Not amongst the people here. Uh, it's only about like 8.30. So she might still be in her room getting ready for the day. So there's this tree. Uh, that Oka used to sit under a lot of the time when they were waiting, uh, when they were like a kid or like a like young teen, like waiting for Halo to come out so they could cause trouble, uh, or like waiting for her to be done with her studies or like the where they would just wait for her, you know, to be done with whatever she was doing and then be like, hey, do you want to go break something? Uh, 
And they go to where that tree is still. Um, and they lean against it. And they just kind of glance up into the window. As you lean against the tree and look up into the window, you wait for maybe a few minutes, I think. And like guards on patrol passing you by also casting rather dirty looks at you, you know, and like other nobles passing by eyes sticking to your body. It's like people can't stop looking at you. There's a freaking orangutan, okay? Like in a cage being wheeled through and they're not looking at the orangutan, they're looking at you. Let them look. Yeah. You lean against the tree radiating dark intentions until you see a shadow pass by the circular frame of Halo's window so many feet above your head. Uh, and I think it's almost like a, an immediate reaction where they look away, actually. They're like, oh, God, wait, no, I can't do this. And they're like, wait, no, I'm here to do this. No, no, no. And they look back up. Uh, and it's like they're 17 again, just waiting for a friend. And you see, like, the curtains sort of draw back. And Halo, her form silhouettes against the window as she gets to the sill and for a moment, she doesn't see you. I think she doesn't see you for a second. You just see like her long horns forming like that, you know, halo above her forehead. Her like snow white skin with this like pinkish hue running underneath, draped in these like beautiful robes of a dream prophet. And she sort of like rests her elbows on the sill and looks out over the palace with this expression on her face that you've... I don't think you've ever really seen before. It's an expression of wistfulness, and there's a deep, deep sadness in her eyes. She seems lost in thought. And then her pinkish eyes travel down, and she sees you, and she freezes. And you even see, like, her tail, like, shoot straight up, like, behind her. And, like, the tuft of hair, like, the tuft of fur at the top, like, puffs up. Oga waves and then feels immediately ridiculous, and they, like, put their hair... You know, they do the thing where they're like, and then they like look away. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you put your hand in your, in your hair and you look away as oh, Halo looks down at you and oh, she takes a deep breath. She like forces her tail back down, and shakes her head and like, like combs her fingers through her hair and looks down at you. And there's like a, like a super Romeo and Juliet moment uh, as she's like looking down at you, like her, her fingers are on the sill and like her face is filled with so much longing, Oka. There's a longing in her face that she has not allowed herself to display toward you up until this point. And there, she looks so soft and vulnerable in that moment. What do you do? The same invitation that I think they've always given. Hey. You want to go cause trouble? <sighs> Oka... Oka, I... Oka, I can't. You don't look busy. On the contrary, Oka, I have a lot of items on my plate today. Well, let me carry some of them, maybe. Oh, please, Oka, you've always been so bad at dream interpretation. I've gotten worse. You know, I believe that. I didn't think it'd be possible, but I believe that. Yeah. Is much worse. Okay, okay. I need you to roll like for smolder. I need you to roll for like charisma. Just give me a charisma check, okay? What'd you get? Natural fucking 
20. 24. Halo looks at you and like for just half a second it feels like you're both 17 again and like she's like angrily looking down at you as you're trying to pull her away from her studies and she wait right there and she turns and like storms off away from the pagoda and as she like storms away I think uh Oka you're like stood there leaning against the tree right uh and as you're like looking around right like like maybe making faces at all these nobles who are passing you and these like big um, animals in their cages. For some reason, I think your eye is drawn toward a blue-skinned half-orc uh, servant. One of many. Uh, not many blue-skinned half-orcs, but one of many servants, right? Who's helping to set up like the tents and whatnot, right? Uh, and you see, uh, you see a spouse approach them. You see the eighth wife uh, approach the blue-skinned half-orc, come up to them uh, with their little tuft of golden hair and tap them on the shoulder, surrounded by her retinue. And, and the orc looks up and turns, and the wife like leans in and whispers something in their ear, uh, and then like bids them adieu by wiggling her fingers, and then turns and saunters away. Uh, and the half-orc just sort of like stands there looking after her for a while, and then turns and like seems to like bow apologetically to the rest of the servants, but they turn around and they after a beat, surreptitiously follow the eighth wife. Podcast editing is by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanerRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanerRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Azura, Bradley, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffisus, and Target.